Today on Ag News Daily. Time ago, you had your uh, your track option, and you were kind of forced into that. But nowadays, we're just giving you an option, a cheaper, much cheaper option with these LSW concepts. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Madison Honkamp here with Miss Delaney Howell. And Delaney, how are you enjoying the Iowa weather? I am not enjoying it, Madison. There is snow everywhere. It's cold. I'm ready to leave the state again. Yes, I can completely understand that one. Are you enjoying the Iowa weather? Not at all. Yeah. It's cold. There's snow everywhere I walk. I slipped a couple times this morning, so. Yeah, I am the same way. I always think to myself, why do I live here in the winter? Yeah. yeah. I uh, I was kind of thinking to myself, especially when we had those really cold days, why mm-hmm. didn't we go somewhere warmer for school? I agree. I know. I didn't really, I went to Missouri, but that's not really a whole lot warmer. No, it's not a huge difference. No, no, not really. Not really. Well, okay. I have this fun piece of news I wanted to start off here because it's kind of aggravated, but it's also just super hilarious because I cannot believe somebody would pay this much. The world record was set for the most expensive bull. Do you want to guess how much this bull sold for? Like over a million? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think I actually saw this on Twitter. $1.51 million for one bull. I can't even fathom that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was sold by Schaff Angus Valleys, SAV America 8018 was, I guess, the bull uh, line. And it was sold to Herbster Angus Farms of Falls City, Nebraska. But... Here's another little quick um, side tidbit of information because it's like, okay, who has $1.51 million to spend on a bull? The guy, Charles Herbster, who owns Herbster Angus Farms, is the chairman of President Trump's Agriculture and Rural Advisory Committee. Okay, that, okay. <laughs> so, essentially, he helped the helped president trump during the 2016 campaign with advising him on agricultural issues how to handle it with producers etc oh wow okay that's i'm still stuck on the 1.5 million dollars for a bull i know i think that's crazy yeah that's insane must be one good bull must not have one good genetics i guess so Jeez. Mm mm-hmm but uh, anyways, that's just kind of some fun news to start it off there for today. What do you have in the way of serious ag news? Um, well, for one, again, more shutdown news. Mm-hmm. Trump apparently did sign the deal that was presented yesterday. Um, but the report that I looked at did say he begrudgedly hmm. signed it. Um, I always like that word because it's <laughs> not super negative, but it kind. But you can tell he wasn't super happy about it. Um, but he does want to use his kind of executive authority, quote unquote, um, to find to fund extra measures for the wall and the immigration system. Um, but it does not look like we're going to go back into a shutdown. So, 
that's good. <laughs> huh. I hadn't even, I'm glad you uh, brought that up because I hadn't seen that he had signed it yet. Has he signed it for sure? Or he just said he intends to. He intends to. Okay. My, my dad actually sent me that email. Ah. So. Well, thanks dad. <laughs> um, I want to follow up with that just for a moment here. So we know, I think it's like 1.3 some was assigned for the wall. He tweeted out yesterday that he was just presented the concept and parameters of the border security deal by hardworking Senator Richard Shelby looking over all aspects, knowing that this will be hooked up with lots of money from other sources. And then he tweeted following up with that a couple hours later said dot, dot, dot will be getting almost 23 billion for border security, regardless of wall money. It is being built as we speak. So I read that as he was not happy. He was probably not going to pass it. But now that you say that, I think that's good news to know, okay, all things aside, maybe he's going to accept this and we can work on the border security funding later on. Yes. But then again, also in this kind of, it's more of just like a little paragraph report, mm-hmm. uh, or he wants to find the money from other places mm-hmm. in the budget. And he did, he did kind of boast about trying to get $23 billion. Uh, so. so it sounds like maybe he wants to try and pull money from other places, but I don't know that he can do that. He has to have Congress's approval to do that. So yeah, hopefully exactly. we just don't see that happen. Hopefully he just signs it in. We get done. We move on. We can deal with the, the funding, the border wall later on. Exactly. So now I think we're just kind of in a waiting game for that. Yes, we absolutely are. Another thing we're in a waiting game for is the trade negotiations with China. We know negotiators are heading to China later this week, but President Trump left open, so to speak, the possibility of extending a deadline, extending the March 1st deadline when that next round of tariffs goes into effect. And he said, quote, if we're if we're close to a deal where we think we can make a real deal and it's going to get done, I could see myself letting that slide for a while. But generally speaking, I'm not inclined to do that. So he did give uh, negotiators and folks just a little bit of hope there that maybe that next round of tariffs wouldn't go into effect right away. But again, another wait and see game there. Exactly. And then I also did say that him and... President G are planning to meet in mid-March to kind of talk about these trade ah, deals. Wonderful. So, yeah. And then I did see the former chief of staff of the U.S. Embassy in Beijing did say um, they might not give a whole bunch of answers to the representatives that are over in China right now um, because they will have that kind of presidential meeting later mm-hmm. on. But again... It's another kind of only time will tell type of thing. Yes, Yes, absolutely. Well, speaking of other things going on in D.C., as I mentioned on Friday, we saw this new green deal uh, come out led by Senator um, from a senator from I believe she's from Connecticut or Massachusetts. I can't East Coast senator. Mm -hmm. Um, And. So now we have the legislation. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said the chamber will vote on the progressive plan to combat climate change. And he's thinking that it's unlikely that we're going to see this Green New Deal um, get voted through because it's kind of 
kind of a wild card for Democrats, especially those who are rerunning in 2020. Um, he didn't provide any specific details about when the vote would occur, but I know just folks on Twitter are still blowing up about it, especially when you look at uh, the fact that she called them farting cows. I still can't get past that. <laughs> I, oh my goodness. I also saw on Twitter, I don't, let me see if I can pull up the tweet. Just kind of speaking of twi- Twitter, you made me think of it. I get what lots I- of news from Twitter, so. Oh, yeah, I definitely do, too. That's how I used to read my news. Yeah, just, absolutely. But, I know that's how Mike read a lot of his news, too. Yeah. Um, one of my friends actually sent me, that is in Sigma Alpha with me, she sent me a tweet from Donald Trump Jr., and apparently Cory Booker wants the government to increase the cost of meat to encourage veganism. Hmm. I don't think very highly of that. Me neither. (laughs) However, unfortunately, uh, folks outside of agriculture have another kind of bomb in their, or a tool in their tool belt, because the EPA released the latest annual greenhouse gas inventory for 2017. They put out those numbers just yesterday and showed that the biggest single contributor was the transportation sector with 28.7% of all greenhouse gas emissions coming from that. Um, However, agriculture produced the equivalent of 542 million metric tons of carbon dioxide, or 8.4% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. A lot of that was due, from what I read, to an increase in livestock production because we know methane emissions come from manure management and that manure management represented 26.4% and 9.3% of total methane emissions from man-made activities happened in 2017. So unfortunately, those folks have kind of another tool to say, hey, look, agriculture is ruining our planet. We should turn to veganism or meatless meat or cultured meat or plant-based proteins. So unfortunately... Yeah, and that's kind of what they're getting at at this article about um, Cory Booker, that he did say, like, that's why we should turn to veganism is because um, cattle and all, mostly cattle is what he was kind of getting at, is kind is putting more of those greenhouse gases mm-hmm. into the atmosphere. Unfortunately, that is true. Yeah. I don't know. I saw that headline and I was just like, oh. Yep. I just wish... It's interesting, too. I had... um, I was presenting to a group this past weekend in Phoenix. That's why I got to go. But they were asking, you know, how do you combat these things? Like, what's something you can do? And I think that's really the million-dollar question is how do you spin things ahead of time so that agriculture isn't playing defense? We're playing offense instead and creating the messages that we want people to hear rather than responding to things after they've been made an issue. Yeah. And that's, that's actually one thing we really focus on a lot in a lot of my ag com classes is how do we kind of tell people what we're doing without making it sound bad without being able to twist the words. And I know one thing was that we all talked about was a lot of farmers kind of like use, just use more communication with the public and, 
but it, it is hard. And, you know, a lot of grade schools don't really use, um, they don't tend to have agriculture based mm-hmm. curriculums or classes, so to say. Uh, so a lot of, you know, kids don't get that kind of background um, information about, you know, how a, a cattle production works or how row crop mm-hmm. works. So I know, unfortunately. I know. And uh, I know we talked about, we did have kind of an ag ed major in the in my like group that mm-hmm. we were talking about this with. And she said <laughs> she really wants, she wishes that ag classes would be in like the core curriculum. I um, agree. Yeah, because they are kind of a fundamental thing to learn about because it's, you know, it's where your food comes from. It's where a lot of your clothing comes from. Um, really, a lot of day-to-day item products mm-hmm. that you use are, do come from agriculture. So, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Madison, what other news do you have for today? Okay, so this kind of last piece of news that I have is just kind of a fun information. So the land that was once um, owned by Abraham Lincoln was getting being sold in Illinois, in Charleston, Illinois, and it was about 30 acres of farmland, and it sold for $10,000 per acre. Oh. I know. And the what I thought was incredibly interesting is Lincoln bought the land for only $200 an acre in 1841. And then 30, just 30 years ago, the land was $788 per acre when the um, family that had previously owned it bought it. Wow. That's a great follow-up to Natalina's piece on Friday because she announced that this farm ground was going up for sale, but we didn't see a final sale yet. So there we go. All right. That's an expensive farm ground. I'm guessing there's some nostalgia factored into that as well. Definitely. Because this land was kind of pieced together with another 590 other acres. And so the, they had separated them out and all of those kind of came out to be an average of $6,964 per acre, but then it jumped 4000 for the land that was owned by Abraham Lincoln. So I just thought that was really interesting and kind of fun, fun little history, kind of. That's great. I love that. Well, I do not have any other news for today, so should we hop over and check out where the market's closed? Let's do that. All right, and folks, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zayner Group there in Chicago, Ted Seifert, Brian Grossman, Matt Zayner. All those gentlemen over there would be happy to help you create a marketing strategy that works for you. Give them a call today at 312-277-0050. Looking across the grains today, starting with the March corn contract, just up half a cent on the day at 378 and three quarters, with the May up half a cent as well to close at 386 and three quarters. Soybean pits down slightly on the day with the March contract losing a penny at 9.16 and a half, while the May also lost a penny at 9.30 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, continuing to see some green on the screen for wheat this week, the March contract up two and a quarter cent at 5.22 and a quarter, with the May up four and a quarter at 5.26 even. Hopping over to look into the livestock pits, 
Red across the boards today. The February live cattle contract down 87.5 cents to close at 125.90. The April down 90 to close at 126.97.5. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract losing 87.5 cents on the day to close at 143.52.5, while the April cut 57.5 cents to close at 146.07.5. In the lean hog pits, the February contract dropped just two cents today to close at 15, while the April closed 55 cents lower on the day to close at 59.77 and a half. Looking at the dairy markets to round out our markets for today, February class three milk futures down a penny at 13.99, while the March down three cents to close at 14.82. Now for today's interview, bringing you one last interview here with Titan Tire from the Iowa Power Farming Show talking about their new tires and the largest ag tire in the world made by Titan Tire. So let's kick it over to them. Well, I'm here at the Iowa Power Farming Show. Found a great booth with some good coffee and good conversation here at the Titan Tire booth. And I am talking to Ryan Bales and Scott Sloan from Titan Tire. And Ryan... You're here. You're sitting closest to me. We're sitting at the booth. What do you guys have on display up here this year? What are the hot items? Well, of course, we got the largest ag tire in the world, the 1430R46 LSW. A huge hit this fall, of course, with all the wet conditions. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a gigantic tire. Why was it such a huge hit? For listeners who have never seen this before, walk us through the uh, <laughs> largest ag tire in the world. If you wanted flotation this year and having issues in the field, this was the the uh, solution to that so definitely uh you know we also have the 1250 uh, 46 which is another option we have that in two options the custom flow grip and the r1w okay Um, that was another big hit we just couldn't keep enough in stock this year um they were (coughs) hand to mouth hand to mouth as soon as we made them they were going out so um if we would have had enough inventory this year everybody in the midwest would have had them so, yeah, good. And, you know, you talk about price. You know, it's only expensive if it doesn't work. Well, that's true. And and so when guys are looking at this type of a tire, a high-flotation tire, talk a little bit about what are their competition? What am I pricing out against it to get this kind of flotation? Uh, you know, it, a long time ago you had your, uh, your track option, and you were kind of forced into that. But nowadays we're just giving you an option, a cheaper, much cheaper option with these LSW concepts. Uh, you know, you can have a set of these on your combine for, you know, twenty-four to twenty-five grand, um, versus a track unit which is eighty to ninety thousand dollars. So, um, and that makes a difference. If you can show a farmer, uh, you know, that you're going to be making money on this, it, it's a go for them. You know, it's a no no brainer. So. And, and you're replacing duels. I mean, these are these are a single tire to replace duels, or are guys dueling them up? No, a lot of guys are actually getting away from the duels now and going to the flotation tire. Okay. So, All right. Yeah, it's, it's... Now, just for those of us who aren't metric, how wide is this tire in feet? This one here is about, uh, in feet, 1,227 inches. Uh, feet, what would that be, Scott? 1,227 inches? It's, twa- it's 1,400 millimeters. Right, which means nothing to me because I'm an American, Scott, <laughs> and I want things in inches and feet. And, you know, the uh, there, we're trying to, we'll get the rest of the world to come along with us. Eventually, on this, <laughs> we'll get rid of the metric system. But uh, this tire, you're sitting at about 55 to 58 inches wide. 
Jeez. It is unreal. Yeah. And to get a tire that wide, the LSW, the low sidewall, that is the, the real innovation here. The ability to shrink the sidewall of the tire. Can you talk a little bit about the wheel construction and, and how it's different than a conventional tire? Well, yeah, the uh, you know LSW concept is low sidewall. So if you think about your truck tires years ago, right, we were running on 15-inch, 16, went 70, 18. Now I've got 20s on my F-150. But the Spinners. Outside, yeah, you bet. You got yeah. that, too. Yeah. Uh, the dubs. Right. But uh, the uh, the outside diameter really remained the same. But shortening up that sidewall it gave the, the, the machine a, an improved performance characteristics, better stability, better handling. So we kind of pushed it from automotive into ag. So you got these, these you know, 55,000-pound vehicles running on these big, long springs called sidewalls. And... Uh, um, you get going down the road and this thing starts, you know, road loping, right? And you're in a 55,000-pound machine and it's about ready to jump you out of the seat. It's kind of an unnervy feeling. So with the lower sidewall, it dampens that effect. And so we've done that across the board on, on the real popular ag sizes. And then obviously with this 1,400, you know, the, the one thing that people say is their old floats back in the day. Remember the, the logger skidder tires that they were running? had the big sidewalls and it just bounced them out of the cab and that's what most people are surprised about with these large section with tires uh that the ride is so so quiet because again the sidewall is shorter and it it really dampens that loping effect now one of the things that i've heard a couple growers mention while i've been sitting here at the booth is the fact that you're dealing with such a wide tire all of a sudden we're not going down the row anymore we're running straight over straight over rows what how does that impact agronomically speaking what does that mean for the grower that I'm driving straight over my road? Do I need to be concerned about compaction as bad? Well, you know, and compaction is a really tough thing to get your hand around because it, it, it depends on weather conditions, soil conditions. There's so many things. Um, you know, and, and what we found, too, is with your standard row crop duels running between the rows, you know, compaction doesn't go straight down. It actually comes kind of out of a, like a, a bulb underneath the ground, if you will. And if you think about that, that middle row that is straddling, you're actually compacting that soil right underneath that plant. So we, they call that pinstrel compaction. Mm-hmm. Now with the LSW concept or these super float concepts, you're spreading that load more evenly across the ground. And yes, you are affecting the, that, that bed, but uh, we've seen little, if any, difference in the in the yield or, or emergence dates or, or anything like that. Wow. Do we need to be concerned? Say I'm running these on my combine. All of a sudden, I'm running over incredibly dense stocks, running directly under the tire. What do I need to be worried about? Should I be putting stompers on? Well, you know, we've been preaching for years. Uh, we, we can do everything in a tire company to prevent stubble, but there's nothing magical about LSW. It's the same compounds that we use in our, our standard tires. And every tire, no matter if it's got an M on the front of the name or an F in front of the name, if it's a good year, it does make a difference. Every tire is susceptible to stubble. And, you know, you think about the hybrids in the last, you know, just in the last 10 years, um, they're, you know, made to withstand 100-mile-an-hour winds, you know, insects, you name it. And not only are they more durable or harder, there's more of them. You know, our seed population has gone from 20,000 to 35,000. So it's not only worse, but there's just more of it. So I am a huge advocate, and everybody should be out there uh, putting stuff in front of your in front of your tires to knock that. Whether it's stompers or rollers or devastators or whatever it is that you you know you prefer, tons of stuff out there that these guys can can put in front of their tires, and not just our tires. It's their tires in general. It's going to save them a lot of money down the road, and you know 
we're not giving this stuff away. Right. So, right. you know, it, it, it's going to be a, a value to them at the end of the day. Yeah, like if you're making an investment on tires, expensive, expensive as they are nowadays, uh, stock stompers are a cheap solution to solving that issue. Now, you talk about the tire technology, LSW, so you've got the, the new design of the tire, the new design of the wheel, the compounds, the rubber, the ply of the tire. I don't, I don't know anything about tires. I know that I blow them up all the time on, on my vehicles and on my equipment, but what? where do we stand today with tire technology? I guess, how many ply is an LSW tire? Do we care about that anymore? I never hear anybody saying it. You know, plies is is, uh, is kind of an older term. And back in the days of rayon and cotton, you know, that the ply rating actually kind of meant how many plies were actually in a tire. But right. the, the ply rating is typically just a rating system. So a six-ply going to, I've got guys that come in and go, I went from a six-ply to an eight-ply because I want two more plies in the tire for stubble resistance. And... Little do they know, it's actually got just four actual plies in the tire, and we just use a, a different a strength of nylon to carry the load. And it's still just four plies going from a six-ply to an eight-ply. So it really makes no difference what it is. It's just more on the load-carrying capacity. And, you know, we're always experimenting with, with new, you know, materials like nylon, polyester, aramid, steel. You know, steels, you're sure. going to be seeing more steel coming into the marketplace, I think. Um, we're always testing compounds, and, and you know that's what what really meets the road in the field. And you know, stubble is always going to be an issue, and, and we're doing our best to try and minimize that. But um, you know, it's just a constant tweak. Okay, now, Ryan, you mentioned just the struggle with keeping up demand this fall. It was wet. It was awful, nearly everywhere. How are you guys prepared to address demand? Should we get a wet spring? Uh, that's a good question. If we could predict the weather, we'd be set up. Um, you know, I think we might ramp up a little bit more this year just to prevent that from happening next year. So, so we'll see how that happens. Um, it's it'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there was no doubt we kind of got caught last year with with the weather, and, and we've had lots of discussions ourselves internally. And uh, you know, we are like Ryan was saying, we are ramping things up, and uh, there's never going to be a, a we're not not going to be able to sell this. So you know, we're just ramping up and 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 just trying to get as caught up as we possibly can. You so. Bet. So if growers are, we're looking ahead, it's it's miserable cold outside. It's tough to think spring's going to be here, but it will be eventually. We are going to have weather concerns. We've got growers who know they've got wet spots, they've got wet fields. It, it, maybe a cheaper option than putting an additional tile is changing the the wheel mechanism on their machinery. So if they're going into this looking between tracks versus tires, LSW tires, what do they need to be keeping in mind? How would you guys, well, of course, I know how you're going to approach this comparison. LSWs win, but what should growers be keeping in mind as they're making this decision, as they're going down that road, trying to weigh the options? Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's the, you know, value. What are you, what are you getting with the tracks? Is it productivity, flotation? You know, and I've talked to lots of, lots of growers, and the first question I ask is, why do you have tracks? And they might say, uh, for flotation or for compaction or pulling power. And, you know, we've done a lot of work with this, and uh, we've actually, with this, our 1400 tire here, we actually did a, Ryan and I did a, a, a study last summer where we weighed a, a track machine. It was it happened to be a 9RX uh, and a uh, wheeled machine with the 1400, and we actually had a pressure pad that could measure the actual ground-bearing pressure of the, you, if you stepped on it, let's just say if you stepped on it, you could see how much ground bearing pressure your heel was putting onto the ground 
cool. And it graphs it. It was like 60,000 data points. I mean, it was... It, huh. So we did that, and we dropped a track machine down, and we dropped uh, uh, 1,400 down on, on the same position, on the same machine. Ballast did the same. Um, and if you looked at the data, the actual ground-bearing pressure was higher under the bogies on the track machine. Because if you think about it, that's where the load is actually being carried, sure. is on those bogies. And the, you look at the footprint of the LSW... And it was even across the even across the footprint. So uh, the peak was much higher. The overall uh, ground bearing pressure um, was higher. And you, you start showing that to a to a grower, and it's like, oh well, maybe the compaction thing isn't quite what I thought. And you know, honestly, uh, you know, Firestone has been saying that for years too. And uh, a properly inflated tire can actually outdo a, a track machine when it comes to actual compaction. Huh. And then, of course, we do the the field trials with uh, the pulling power of a, of a LSW or a you know fourteen hundred or eight hundred fifty five R forty six. And every time we've gone out in the field demos, there's not one time that we haven't stayed right on with a with a track machine. We've done it with conventionals LSWs and track machine, and the conventionals have always been behind because they end up power hopping and they're losing traction and, and things sure. like that. So, you know, for us. Um, from an initial cost, maintenance, depreciation, you, you name all those things that a track machine has, and if you can get the exact same performance and just as much productivity out of it, it kind of makes that decision relatively easy, actually, when you start going the pros and cons that, you know, with all the stuff that goes into a track, I can be into it for $110,000 less and getting the same exact performance, and you're getting your road speed back and all the things that go with it. So. And they just look cool. And they do look They're just awesome. super wide, big rims. And, I mean, they're just pretty pretty awesome looking. And, and actually, you know, these super singles are actually overall narrower than your standard duels that are on there. So, so like your 710 duels or your 800 duels, a 1400 is, is substantially narrower. So your roadability... You know, maybe you don't have to pay for that neighbor's mailboxes right. as often as you used to with uh, with the road ability. I got to get a set of these on the Minneapolis Moline. That's what we need for tractor ride well, season. We, we could get you fixed up on that. <laughs> now, Ryan, if growers are, are looking at this, they're trying to make those decisions here come springtime. Where can they go to get some more information to see some of the field trials you guys have uh, have performed? You know, get a, get a hold of any uh, local Titan Goodyear dealer, and you know, I would have to say just to the the end user, just. Do some research. I mean, look look at some of the stuff that's out there. That there's people around you that are running them, that have been running them. Um, see what they think about it. Um, talk to some track guys. And yeah, and our, uh, we've got a you know we got a YouTube page. If you if you just type in Google uh, Goodyear Farm Tire Channel, it pulls up our our YouTube page, and uh, there's uh, there's hundreds of videos on there of guys running all kinds. Of, whether it's a self propelled sprayer, mechanical front wheel drive. You know, those kinds of things that we've got for every piece of equipment on the farm. So it's pretty interesting. Fantastic. Ryan and Scott from Titan Tire, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Well, hey, thanks for stopping by. All right. Well, again, that was Titan Tires there. You can check them out. If you just Google Titan Tire, head to titantire.com. Madison, what do you say? Where, where can folks check us out if they have suggestions for interviews, content, etc. that we should be doing here on the podcast? They should definitely look us up on Facebook and Twitter at Ag News Daily. But then also, if they would like to kind of get caught up on podcasts, they can find us at agnewsdaily.com. Awesome. With that, Madison, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>